We are delighted to have each of you here tonight. We do have visitors among us, and we thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And We want you to always feel welcome, and we want you to feel free to come back and be with us anytime you have the opportunity to do so. I want to add one additional announcement. I should have given it to Brother Kurt. Uh, on the second and fourth Mondays of each month, we have a Monday morning Bible class. We simply study the Bible verse by verse for about an hour, and uh, we meet in room one. There for a while, we were having so many, we were considering having to move out of that room. But we could take another one or two if you'd like to come. We'd love to have you. Uh, it's a good way to start your week off, to be able to simply study a part of God's Word. And tomorrow morning we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, and we're going to have a, a great Bible study, and we encourage and invite you to come if you can do so. Do you have a favorite passage of the Bible? When I ask that question, I'm sure most of you say, well, yes, I like John 3.16. Or maybe you like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. My problem is it depends on what day of the week and what time of the day as to which is my favorite Bible passage. So what I decided to do was I'm going to preach some lessons. They're not necessarily going to be every Sunday evening. It'll be here and now. But these will be some passages which are among my favorite passages. One thing is we sometimes have favorite Bible passages, but there's a much more depth to those passages than sometimes we realize. One of those passages, in my judgment, is John 3.16. You can tell people, what does that passage say? Most people can quote it to you. But the background of that passage has some much deeper great, important teachings that surround it. I would encourage you to, if you want, to submit to me your favorite Bible passage. Then uh, I'll try to work it into my list. I already have several, but uh, it's perhaps one that you will have will be one that I already have. But if you've got one that's really valuable to you, you'd like for me to preach on it, then uh, take one of the visitor's cards, flip it over to the blank side, Write that passage down in legible writing, hand it to me, and then I will. And the reason why I say legible, you, you think I'm joking. A lot of times I get things and I cannot decipher what it says, especially if I've written it. So, um, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I want us to do is to just simply look at the text. In the beginning. When you see those words there, that is a descriptive term. It's not just words there to fill space. It tells us that this is the time when the physical universe had its beginning. It is not the beginning of spiritual things because you have God who is already there in heaven. It is the first of the creation of God. That's when it all started, if you will. Or the Bible uses the term the foundation of the world. For instance, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. So you know there is God the Father, there is God the Son, and though not mentioned here, God the Holy Spirit was there as well. In John chapter 17 and verse 4, as Jesus prays his prayer to the Father, after praying for the unity of the believers in verses 20 and 21, he says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me, where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, even in the prayers that we read, even in some of the texts of the Bible, there is reference to this great event that occurred in the beginning. But then you have to notice the word in the beginning, God. Now, sometimes when we read that, you may, you may just read over that and, and think, well, you, this is a reference to God the Father. But this is not just a reference to God the Father because the Hebrew word used for God, not only here, but many other places in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word Elohim. And it is plural. And unless you think that maybe they're adding something to it, notice chapter 1 and verse 26 where he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you see, God is composed of here the Father, but also the Son, and also the Holy Spirit. And yet God is one. One of the great teachings of the Old Testament, one which every Jewish man would know by heart, is Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In fact, if you visit the country of Israel, you will find that inscribed on a number of various things. Uh, they actually have a little box called a mezuzah that if you will notice before they enter a room, out on the outside of hotel rooms, there's that little thing, and people will kiss their fingers and then touch that, and inside it will have that scripture, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prayed, I do not pray for these alone, these referring to the apostles, but also for those who will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. There is perfect, complete, full harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They act as one. And so it is appropriate to refer to God, not gods, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was that agent that is part of creation. If you'll notice here, if you read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, who has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he pointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the worlds. God the Father used Jesus as the agent of creation. You go back to John chapter 1, verse 3, after it's talking about the Word being with God, the Word being God, he said, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus was the creator, if you want to say it that way, that he was the agent of creation. But God is the creator, not man. I read quite frequently a lot of the writings of the skeptics. And when you read the writings of the skeptics, one of the things they say is, is that man is conjured up in his mind, God, and so in reality, man created God. When Paul was in Athens, and he was disputing with the various philosophers and even the uh, people of Mars Hill, the Areopagites. You read in chapter 17 and verse 24 of Acts, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. You see, the true God is the one that created it all, not that is a created of the conception of man. Now you can find throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament those who are referred to as gods with a little g whom man has devised. They have created. But the real God is much different. Now notice in the beginning God created. The Hebrew word for create is barah. And that is in distinction to the word for made, asa. And the distinction is, is that you and I can make something, but we can create nothing. We take something that is already here and we reshape it, we refashion it, we assemble it. But we take elements that are already here. Someone says, but I had a great idea. I created an idea in my head. Where would you get the idea from? From your experiences and from what God placed within you. So none of us create. We only make. But God created. How did God do that? In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, it was brought into existence by God simply speaking, by His very Word. The Hebrew writer says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. What that means is God would say, Let there be light, and where there was none, there was light. And God would say, let whatever, and it happens. And this was accomplished in six literal days. Someone says, well, how do you not know that those days of creation in Genesis chapter 1 were not long eons of time? How do you know that, for instance, that day 1, or day two, or day three, might not have been ten million years. 
Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, a lot of scientific reasons for that. Especially when you have things such as photosynthesis and things such as that. A lot of those things just couldn't have taken place without the creation of God being there. But the truth is you have a scripture that tells you. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he explained to him in chapter 20 and verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. If he's talking about there the days that man should recognize, why should anybody think anything other than these six literal days? But then you ask the question, what did God create? As you go through the rest of Genesis chapter 1, you start saying, God said, let there be light. And he created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. Ponder that for just a moment. There's some comprehensive terms. In fact, there's actually a figure of speech called a merism. You don't need to know what a merism is other than the fact that you use contrasting terms to try to encompass everything in between. For instance, you say, I searched high and low. High, low encompasses everything in between. Or you say, ladies and gentlemen. You're either a lady or a gentleman. Or you can say, I'm here to talk to old and young alike. That includes everybody in between. Or the one I like is, I bought it lock, stock, and barrel. That includes all. Amirism is heavens and earth. God created that which was above, and God created that which was below. All of the physical creation. That same designation is found 32 times in the Bible. And I could really go through a lot of these and look at them with you. But let me just choose two very powerful ones. First one found in Matthew. The last one found in Second Peter. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There are some things that are temporary. There are other things that are permanent. Heavens and earth are temporary. They're part of this visible creation. God's word will abide forever. In 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, he's talking about the promise of Jesus' coming. We studied about that a few weeks ago. We also talked about that God was not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, verse 9. Verse 10 he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. If you will notice carefully, you will have in verse 10 both the heavens passing away and the earth being burned up. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking for a spiritual home, spiritual existence. But there's some interesting aspects to creation. I thought about going, 
like the children's song, day one, day one, God made light when there was none. But I think there's some other ways to approach it. For instance, there's a chart in front of you, the order of creation. If you'll notice on days one, two, and three, God created the environment. And then on days four, five, and six, God created the inhabitants for that environment. And so if you put them, the first thing that God did was to create light. And then he created the environments or the inhabitants of that light, the sun, the moon, the stars. If you'll notice, on day two, God created the sky and the water. But then on day five, he created the birds and the fishes. On day three, he created the land. And on day six, he created the land animals and man. You see the, the uniqueness of that. And God rested on the seventh day. I thought about stopping at the end of verse 1, but uh, since I'm going to preach on my favorite passage, I'm going to have to go down to verse 26. Beginning with verse 26, going through verse 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the, all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Again, let's... Notice some important words here. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does that mean? First thing, I have to notice that the nature of God is spirit. In John 4, verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The nature of God is spirit. The nature of God is not physical. God was here before there was ever anything physical. In Luke 24, verse 39, Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. God's nature is not flesh and bones. God's nature is not two hands, two legs, two eyes, two ears. That's not the nature of God. He's not physical. And we should not think of that being the form or the likeness in which we are created. James puts it like this in James chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, talking about the tongue, with it we bless God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Root word of similitude is similar. We've been made like God. And his point is, you should not 
praise God with your mouth and curse man with your lips because man is similar to God. We're made in the image of God. That's the reason why you don't shed blood of man because man was made in the image of God. Man has a moral awareness. What do you mean, say, moral awareness? I understand that I'm able to make moral judgments. I am presented, for instance, with choices, one of which may be wrong and one which will be right. I can have a comprehension of those choices and understand the consequences of those choices. For instance... I may be given the choice whether to eat a meal myself or to give it to one of my children. In the animal kingdom, the decision would be, whatever takes care of me, I come first. But man with moral choices can choose to do that which actually brings harm to himself. The selfless giving, many times on the battlefield, People who are not religious may sacrifice their own life, falling on a grenade to preserve the lives of their comrades. See, man has a unique nature about himself, which is like God. And thus, the spiritual nature of man is eternal. In Ephesians 4, verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which was a created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. That new man, that spiritual man that he describes here, he said that's the part that was created like God. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, passage that I often use at funerals. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's describing... The inner man, the spiritual part of man, as in contrast to the physical. What happens to this old physical body? It wears out, it grows old, and it dies. But just like the song we sing, where the soul never dies. But then he says, and let them have dominion. Dominion means the power to rule over. God designed man at the apex of his creation. Being made in God's image brings with it a natural set of privileges, the privileges to have dominion. But with that authority comes responsibility. Once God has placed man there, once man has the ability to make moral choices, God holds man accountable for those choices. But man has a special place in God's eyes. David, in Psalm chapter 8, beginning with verse 3, says, When I consider the heavens, 
the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him have dominion over the work of your hands. And then he goes on to talk about all these things man is over. And he says in verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Are you not sometimes humbled by this creation, the power that's a part of it? When David could look up and he says, I see the sun, the brightness of it that even though the millions of miles it is away from this earth, is still able to bring warmth. The moon sometimes is so bright you can see almost like in the daytime as it just reflects the sun. He says, what is man? Why is he so special? Because he was made in the image of God. Now let's talk about a few points of application and then we'll bring the lesson to a close. There was a beginning. The world is not eternal. If there was a beginning, there will be an end because God that created said he would bring it to an end and thus the world again is not eternal. I shouldn't think about it going back endlessly before me contrary to what some of the evolutionists might think. Nor should I think the earth is eternal, that it will continue to exist forever. God's not planned that. With that understanding, not the result of natural causes, but by the intentional act of God, that means that no one here is a mistake. No one of us is a freak of nature. You know, I can understand why a number of children today are struggling with self-worth. Because they're being told, you're nothing more than just the product of nature. Things just happen and you're just here. But yet when you read your Bible, it is very plain, it is very clear that are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and yet not one of them falls to the earth apart from your Father's will. He says, do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. God's concept of his creation is so large that no one of us should think, I'm not loved, I'm not appreciated, God doesn't care for me. You are made in the image of God. You have value. You have worth. No one should think of himself as a mistake. If God is our creator, and he is, then he rules over all, and it would be wise to listen when our creator speaks. David said, Psalm 50, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine and all the cattle on a thousand hills. How much of this world belongs to God? Every bit of it. Psalm 95 verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In the, his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his and he made it. 
His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice. There's so much about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What God accomplished was not only good, but very good. When I was a teenager, our rooms, bedrooms, were filled with posters. I had some that uh, were humorous, but there was one that several had when I was a kid that says, God doesn't make junk. Recognizing the fact that what God did was not only good, but very good, including you. Souls are eternal. The soul will never die. We ought to protect it. This favorite Bible passage, as Brother Teddy Jones said a few weeks ago during VBS, is foundational to the rest of the Bible. If you're going to deny the very first verse of the book, why keep reading? This book is so important. It answers one of life's most important questions. Where did I come from? Now we're going to have to study later why am I here and where am I going. But it answers where I came from. And I want to end with Revelation 1 and verse 8. And you think about it from Jesus being the very agent of creation in the beginning to his being our judge, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. John records, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who was or who is, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Tonight, if you are not a Christian, you have a Creator who cares for your soul. You can render obedience by believing in Jesus the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. As one of God's children, we enjoy some great privileges privileges to ask our Father to bless us. Jesus taught us to ask, to seek, to knock. And he has taught us that if we have sin in our lives, we need to repent of it and then to pray for his forgiveness. Tonight, if you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing the invitation song?